So I've hit record now. We can obviously, we don't, Michelle, take as much time as you want before you begin take, introducing, before you pretend the show has started in your head. Uh, oh, I'm pretending now. I'm taking my time. I'm, I'm doing the rhymes. It's Michelle Perez, uh, joined, uh, two, two buddies down. Uh, we are, we're down two buddies is just me and Jake. Uh, we are, we are fending off the incoming hordes. That's Uh, right. Yeah. I'm sorry about my recent absence. There's something of a family emergency. I'm told that no one fucking dunked on me. Or talked about my penchant for uh, droning on and ranting for long periods of time. Oftentimes right. with dead air to the horror of my co-hosts. Uh, it's it's working on it. It is good to be back. It, I'm, I'm Welcome thankful. back, Michelle. I th- I'm, I'm thankful that that my, my co-hosts did not shit talk me at length. Uh, because I don't have a long memory. I don't hold grudges. Yeah. This is all... And you don't need to listen to the episodes either, because we're, we're honest and true people. I, I listen to every episode, Jake, so I don't know what the fuck you're trying to say here, but uh, you're not the nice, sir. Hmm. See, I, see I, it's animosity. You have to... Jake, this is, this is producer-level shit. You have to keep the people wanting more. I literally keep the show going when she doesn't show up last episode. For for listeners, you will know this. And this is the thanks I get. This is this is the tension. We we need like some interviewer backstage a la Well, we watched Fuck Boy Island recently. Wonderful program. Uh yeah, what I, I wanted I, to know start us off with. You know? <laughs> we'll say the show endorses Fuck Boy Island. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I We've both been watching it. You know, this is not a paid sponsorship. I, I endorse the television program. About uh, I don't know what the fuck it's about. Honestly, they just look like people that have all been made in Skyrim mods. Uh, try to not fuck each other, but fuck each other, and the interpersonal dynamics. They feel like written like wrestling characters. Do you get any of that vibe at all, Jake? Oh yeah, it's much more akin to uh, like. I mean, reality is already reality TV has always been somewhat akin to wrestling, right? But this is very much brazen in their in their disregard for maintaining any level of uh, an actual reality show. They don't care. They're just doing. They're just making fun, hot dudes do stuff. Yeah, the the, the guy that was that was literally doing like a fucking Nuremberg speech about lying about being a fuck boy was incredible. Like I. I have I have no part in this historical uh, revisionist ne- revisionist narrative. I was never a fuckboy. Uh, <laughs> people people can change. Uh, today <laughs> we are joined by writer, uh, artist, uh, sort of jack of all trades in terms of a specific sort of uh, online taste making. I saw for a long time. Uh, has written uh, about comics for Fantagraphics, uh, the Comics Journal, uh, all kinds of outlets. 
crazy, crazy prolific and uh, self-publishes her own works, uh, stuff like Goro, Ophelia, uh, Dysnomia, uh, Hecate Snake Diaries, Volume 1. I got to ask you about that because, uh, Christ, was it you that worked on a comic or wrote about this? This is fucking with my head where you and another person switched artist and writer duties page for page. Am I remembering that wrong? Um, I don't think I did anything like that. I know I've written for other artists before, mm, but I don't okay. haven't had very many people that I've done their, I've drawn their scripts or anything. Okay. I was about to say it. It also just seemed like something you would write about. You were, you're very big into writing about sort of European comics at a certain point in time in Tumblr where it, it kind of veered wildly between that. And then, you know, your, your various uh, manga creatives and I don't know, your, 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 your published work seems to kind of have a, a style or sensibility that sort of, uh, bounces those two philosophies together. I don't know, Jake, uh, you're, you've got your aorta's with you. You're dual wielding them. Like am uh, I off base? For the listeners at home, Michelle, you may have noticed, did not finish her introduction. Please welcome Sarah Horrocks to the show, everybody. Sarah Horrocks. Sarah Horrocks. I'm doing great, folks. We're, hey, we're getting back into me. the swing of things. Yeah, no, the uh, cobwebs are out. No, I, I, I very much agree. Um, I will say that uh, Sarah, as 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 far as you being a guest on our show, I was probably one of the first people to bring up your name simply because I had at that at the, around the time we had first started the show, which was roughly a year ago, I had gotten Aorta one and two. Um, and the reason I had gotten Aorta one and two were because I had been following you on Twitter for a while, uh, mostly from kind of the types of, as Michelle was saying, the types of little like almost micro criticisms you would do or not even criticisms, just posting stuff you thought was cool. Um, and I really appreciated sort of the breadth of what I was seeing there where here was someone who clearly, um, the way I would describe it is sort of start. You were someone who started to emphasize the way I described comics to people a lot, which was that if you like manga, if you like superheroes, if you like whatever, you just like comics. And on your account, I saw a very great embodiment of that where you could scroll through all the stuff you were talking about and it could be you know frank miller's old old frank miller stuff on one hand and then some manga i've never heard of like a couple a couple posts down that looks like absolutely phenomenal um and then right back into a bunch of other you know either western or european stuff so just the breadth of that was i don't know what i what i really started to appreciate and uh i guess like did, like how did you start getting into writing about that stuff in a way that was, was critical or, or expressive. Like, did you just want to start telling people what you thought was cool basically? Uh, yeah. Like, um, yeah, I think that's kind of the genesis of a lot for a lot of critics is you just kind of have a kind of irrepressible reaction to something and you want to like share it with people. Cause you don't feel like people are necessarily like discussing the things that you're interested in. And, um, 
that was definitely the case with me. A lot of the stuff that I was really into was not the stuff that people were sort of writing about, even kind of to this day, there's a lot of stuff that I'm still, especially with like European comics, uh, I'm kind of one of the few people who has sort of written extensively about like major, major European artists mm. that the rest of the world like cares about quite a great deal, but Western audiences like just kind of ignore except for um, artists. Um, Cause obviously like, um, a lot of comics artists have very sort of wide um, reading tastes usually. Um, and But that's, they're not the people who are necessarily like writing criticism mm. or the writers tend to be sort of, and I, I mean, I came from a similar vantage point because I was a English major who couldn't draw uh, when I started writing comics criticism and there's like a definite like my very first stuff was very like kind of how 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 you would see it from anyone else where i was writing about like stories and themes and stuff of like dc and marvel like arcs and stuff but as i like started learning teaching myself how to draw and like looking at more and more comics and um sort of developing more of a kind of visual literacy and a sort of visual like taste um, the comics criticism kind of grew alongside that. And it also, I think, helped me learn how to draw because I was more sort of, I was consciously breaking down the things that I was looking at uh, cons in a consistent manner. And, mm. and so I could apply that to sort of my style and, um, you know, because I like one of the best ways to kind of learn how to draw is to kind of like draw things that you like. So you know, I'd be, I'd write about the stuff that I was, that I liked and I would kind of like redraw, um, favorite panels or, um, favorite illustrations or, you know, screen grabs from anime or something like that, that I liked and just kind of like improve that way and get better and better at kind of finding my own voice and kind of finding out what it what it is that I liked in all these separate things that resonated in me and kind of like influenced my own style and kind of spoke through my own sort of drawings. So I think it just was just kind of like a process that was hand in hand with like becoming a better artist was becoming a better critic and vice versa. Yeah, that's 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 crazy the way you kind of talk about that arc, uh, like. After a certain point, uh, I think one's ability to sort of have an authorial voice, like, I'm not saying it's the same for everyone, but like, for whatever reason, there always seems to be that tendency, like for, for people in comics where they're like, okay, I've, I have X amount of, of things I love. How do I kind of take it outside of? uh enthusiasm or in in your case you know comics crit uh and sort of i don't know put put skin in the game and it's it's kind of crazy seeing all of those influences like like i i have uh many tabs open but basically i was looking at one particular uh uh old old tumblr thing where you are incredibly 
prolific in terms of uh god article writing back then out of uh that tumblr specifically and it goes it goes through like let's see here gosh uh everything from uh albert i'm gonna fuck up the pronunciation of all these uh guido crapex correct yeah Alberto okay. Breccia and Alberto Breccia, Araoki Samura, just just uh, insane amount of of essays, and then uh, sort of swatches of all of these various works and interiors. I, I think I I think I still have like the only articles on Alberto Breccia, like in English. Um, Fanographics has just recently started to um, publish his work in English, and that's uh, kind of led to a little bit more writing about them. But for a lot of that stuff, for at least a you know a decade or whatever, that was I was the only person who had written about some of that stuff. So I would like I made a lot of friends from like Argentina and stuff because that's how they would encounter me. Is because if they Googled uh, Breccia, like my articles would come up. Um, so it's really a f- interesting way to kind of connect with people f- with tastes from kind of all over the world. Yeah, uh, that that's kind of the wild thing. Um, it it also sort of I know I I wonder if I'm looking at it with sort of rose colored glasses, but I feel like I feel like there's a definitive absence of this sort of uh, sort of engagement with. Uh, with, uh, I guess, the medium talking over aesthetics and, like, kind of critically walking people through uh, the sort of uh, headspace of the characters and the sort of, I don't know, it's do, not necessarily like, like close reading, but it's like your, your, your criticism. Long-form content? Yeah, long-form content and... Yeah. Something that I mean, basically isn't like Jake. Just just for a point of reference here, do you remember those old video game magazines? Yeah, I mean, I was a I was an EGM subscriber, like, like one of the yeah, the yeah. last ones. Yeah, basically this very thick sort of tomb like mm-hmm. uh, book, and yeah, the reviews uh, were just basically sort of purchasing decision based. Uh, reviews it, i well, really you were, pay, you were paying to get perspective even wizard magazine you know back in the day was was a bit egm like, was a little honestly, better egm was a little better this, right that but that's front, what this but, that's what this style of writing is is sort of to me this style of early whatever you want to call it, early 2000s more long-form writing before twitter and other social media like obliterated uh anyone's care for that kind of stuff <clears throat> i i just read those for the pictures yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, right back then, that was the only way you could kind of um, see screenshots and stuff of like upcoming games and stuff. Was you had to actually Absolutely. go like buy a video game magazine, which is crazy Absolutely. to think about. I actually wrote the other day about like I distinctly remember the first time I had picked up a new copy of EGM and it was covering stuff that I had already read about on the internet. And I was like, oh, buddy. Like even even as a teenager, I was like, "This is okay. This is not old long now. For, like this, this is, is immediately old now. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, it was a very very weird time to be to grow up in. But 
but yeah, yeah, I, I look at not to not to be mean and or shitty, but uh, in the the comics journals reviews uh, right now, I'm looking at uh, a review of yours by it's on Peplum by Blutch, uh, mm. and you kind of had a bit of an argument at the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the God, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, kind of. I guess the the depth at which your your reviews kind of touch on these themes while treating the work like a serious adult uh, piece of work, and it's, it's sort of very difficult, and it sort of seems like it's the exception, not the rule now. In as much as now, it seems very much like like a lot of reviews in comics, Jake. They kind of seem like they're soft selling the product in a certain way. It's it's really strange. Well, I think that can apply to a number of different media criticisms, honestly. Like one thing that I think is really cool about about Sarah's work and, and that she talked about briefly, um, was that, you know, you, you said you started learning to draw after you sort of started doing the criticism thing. Um that really resonated with me because I used to write about music <clears throat> and the biggest thing I ran up against was that I was not a musician. Um, you know, I can keep time. I have a sense of rhythm, uh, but I don't play an instrument at any, on any level. And after a certain while meeting so many people that actually did it and, and writing about it, uh, you know, I, I felt like at a certain point I was like, well, I can either keep doing this and I would probably want to get further into actually understanding how playing an instrument works, or I'm just going to stop writing about music. And I did the latter. And it, it, to me, you, you are someone who did the opposite where, you know, I don't know how accurate this is and, you know, maybe you can elaborate on it, but you started drawing because you, you, you felt like uh, you had something to say after writing about comics for so much, I would presume. Um, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't explain it that way. I, I mean, I really only started drawing like, Basically, I mean, I was writing scripts and stuff contemporaneously to any of the uh, criticism that I was early criticism that I was doing. I see. But um, I w- was having trouble because I, you know, was, you know, a poor uh, trans woman in Rhode Island having trouble, like, paying any artists to draw them. Um, so I started out, like, um, making collage comics out of, I'd, like, cut up. Um, images and like movie stills and stuff and make comics out of those and um eventually i was getting to the point where to like make a hand in a certain way i was like cutting up all these like images just to get the hand that i wanted and so i was like it would be better if i just learned how to draw a hand and um so that's i basically just became an artist because um out of necessity for mm. wanting to hell yes make what i what was in my head right yeah see that i mean i didn't i didn't even start learning how to draw until um like i was 28 or 29 oh wow and yeah and i'm 30 just turned 39 so i've been doing it for about 10 years now um but nice. yeah so i so i got like a late start on it right but um, I think that that worked in my favor because that's why I was able to my tastes and stuff where I was able to kind of like guide my tastes a little bit more. I, I knew what I was trying to like 
accomplish. So I could kind of like look at things that I thought would sort of develop skills that I wanted to develop. Like if I was, I thought that, oh, this artist does action in a way that I really like. And I like the way that their characters kind of move. So I should kind of study what they're doing and um, learn that for, you know, my own comics. Mm. And um, so, you know, that, that was more where it became kind of a, or it was more sort of hand in hand. I think um, when I was initially writing comics criticism, it was just definitely just out of enthusiasm for the medium, but, I was also, it would be more, it was more focused on the writing side because I was only doing the writing side. Um, so it may have been a similar process, but for writing though, I mean, even for writing, none of my writing influences are really comics writers. Mm. Um, with, yeah, not really. Most of my writing influences were like writer, writers and poets and stuff. Mm. Um, but there were, there were like obviously writers that I liked a lot, like right. growing up and stuff. Like I liked like Frank Miller and Alan Moore and right. you know that whole crew. Um, but was there a, a distinct yeah. moment where you were like, you know, where you kind of went from from oh I should draw a hand to like oh I I definitely need to learn how to do all of all of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the. Um, I think the first uh, Cotty Snake Diaries thing was probably around a year after I had started learning how to draw or something. I want to say, I want to say, okay. um, and uh, it was kind of you know once I got going, I kept wanting to get better and better because like it was for the long for the longest time. I mean, I just had to build up my like literal like ability to draw anything, let right. alone a comic, right. Uh, and so I was, um, at the time I was working as a night auditor at a hotel and, um, so you have a lot of time on your hands, um, at night. So what I would do is I would work on like an illustration, uh, drawing like a study or something at work, um, for like four to six hours of the shift would be pretty much dead. So I could kind of just draw mm-hmm. and then I would come home and, um, draw like another four hours. And uh, just do that like every day and, uh, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly get better. And then eventually once I got to where I was good enough that I felt like I could kind of make a comic, um, that's when I started um, trying to do comics. Um, But because, I mean, I was starting at such a low level of drawing, even just like doing a comic was pretty beyond like my skills i think i did like one i think i did a comic at work once that was like about like a one of my friends as like a belligerent um barfly mm. um slash vampire <laughs> <laughs> and uh i think that's probably somewhere but it was just like very like stick figures and uh character faces type thing um how like uh how long of a period is that for you when you know kind of working working those nights and and building up to the the first go at a at a comic um i don't know it's hard to it's hard to remember because i by this point a lot of that stuff kind of runs together um if it's night shift yeah you're not gonna have a coherent memory (laughs) unless it was a fucking unless it was like an aha moment where you're like Oh no! I know how. That's when I discovered he had three feet. 
Yeah, yes. my my coherent memories from working uh, hotel night shifts are uh, like usually like catastrophes, like the roof uh, catching fire type of thing. <laughs> oh my um, gosh! Yeah, or once a tire fell off a truck up like a, the hill and like rolled through the parking lot and came through our, our window where the orange juice machine was, and so I had to like clean up all that mess and people were still coming in. There's like windows like busted and trying to get orange juice out of the broken orange juice machine and asking me like why the, why they, why it's not working. And I'm like, do you not see the like broken window behind there and like <laughs> how none, nothing's connected to anything. Um, but yeah. I, and plus I was moving around, um, quite a bit during that time. Cause I lived in, um, Rhode Island for a little bit and then I lived in Missouri and then I lived in Florida and then went back to like Massachusetts and then um I think the when I this when I moved back to Massachusetts I think that's when I was working on um Hikari Snake Diaries volume 1 I think um so I was probably drawing that when I was in Florida, I started drawing it when I was in Florida and I finished it when I was in, in Massachusetts, which would have been, I don't even know when that was probably five or six years. Yeah. Um, well, I was making those Hikari snake diary things pretty, pretty quickly. Probably the first one took, actually, I think I did dysnomia first before I did that stuff actually, or while I was doing it, like while I was doing it, the modest Suspiria people like saw some of the shorts that I was posting and they wanted me to like do a whole comic. So I may have done that like in between and that dragged it out more. It's hard. To, it's hard to remember the chronology on, on that stuff, but it, cause that and the second one kind of bled together. But I remember I did the second one in a month and that was like pretty intense. I was doing like five or six or seven pages a day or something crazy. So, so this is all late night still. Yeah. So you're um, not, yeah, no, no, she's not going to remember a one fucking thing about Jake. That's just, I mean, that's just to late, be, to be clear, late night work. My, my question was just how long did it take <laughs> to go from wanting to learn to draw to getting to a published comic? Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I would say I was probably working on, um, I was probably publishing, well, it, again, it bleeds together because I was doing the collage comics before I started drawing. So oh, I had this is true. Um, I have a pretty big. I have like a couple hundred pages of just collage comics from that time that I was put that I was doing as web comics. Okay. And um, and was this getting new Tumblr? A, um, I was doing it through some web Tumblr? comic site that doesn't even exist anymore. Oh, okay. Something oh, like that. Gotcha. Um, that was the comic. I think, um, I think Michelle, uh, may have read, seen it. Um, Ophelia was the con was the big, uh, collage web comic that I made. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah that- there, around that time, uh, God, I was way more active on Tumblr. Uh, so yeah, no, that, that got some circulation. Uh, yeah, that was, that was the, thing that um got me sort of that's where i was getting like a lot of positive feedback from people and um uh kind of developing and then um that was let's see that would have been that was like when i came back from rhode island because i remember i came back from rhode island to missouri and i was just like 
depressed and uh just like fuck it i don't care i'm making a comic and um i was like i can get the i can get a bootleg version of photoshop and i can you know have all these images that i've been saving up and i can use these and um so i probably did that for maybe a year or two and then um and then moved to the drawing phase which was probably there was probably a year where i was um learning to draw and i was i mean i was still doing like i did a couple like one page things because i was posting on um millar world Mm. and they would have sort of um various like art contests or like um sort of we had this uh superhero fantasy league thing where um you like drafted superheroes and then like they like fought and you like came up with the reasons of why your like superhero That's beat their superhero. Hilarious. And wait, so wait that, hold on. Was this with accompanying art assets? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Cause, and so, I mean, there were a lot of artists and stuff on that board. And um, so people would draw different things or make stuff in Photoshop and, um, that I think that's when I started uh, like trying to draw like the characters on my team. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I think I also did like a, there was like a one page or something like comic that I drew back then as well. That was really pretty terrible. This is, this is funny. I, I literally did that in the past. Uh, <laughs> like Jake, you may have know some of the artists, but uh there was a a sort of air quotes artist battle thing, similar premise, but basically wouldn't be with existing IP superheroes or whatever. They would just make X character and then sort of do exchange through posts of art. Was we did that for, yeah for for people's forum avatars. Um, oh wow! Really? All the forums that we were posted in, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a forum battle, but the same Dear. medium where you would you would explain or draw some sort of concept of how you were yeah someone would do a script and then someone would actually do the art and i usually lucked out on that one it's really weird literally everyone i know who has done that now is published in comics it's fucking weird it's a good it's a good excuse to get you drawing like i mean the only way you can progress as an artist is just to sit down and you have to draw a lot yeah and so anything that like raises your enthusiasm for doing that is pretty helpful. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, a- anything you like throw a little bit to a lot of time at, like there's this nice little, well, it's troubling, but there's like this happy middle between, yeah, no, no, you, you're an enthusiast. You love this. And that's done. It's also like the other side is the sunk cost fallacy where you're just like, yeah, no, if I just wait a little longer, I'll be that much closer <laughs> if I just never fucking do it. And yeah, you, at some escalating. point you just have to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, gosh, sorry. I don't, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I can't, I don't remember the exact moment I would have thought like, okay, now I'm good enough to draw a comic type thing. But I, I mean, I must, have, I must have had that moment. I think that's a fantastic answer, though, because it, it's so—it's re- just very realistic. Um, I'm really just trying to ask from the perspective of uh, of the the layman, so to speak, and it, it makes so much sense to hear it that way. Honestly, um, well, yeah, because I 
you know, a lot of people mythologize writing, but writing exactly. is actually insanely easy. It's mainly like fucking fucking driving the car correctly and like mm-hmm. having something good that if you actually want it to be good is going to have to go through at least two to three iterations minimum yeah. uh, to have it be coherent, to have a vision and a way moving forward uh for it is it is why people always do the meme of like writers writers slash artists uh where you like they do both and god i'm trying to remember the one where it's just like they're all dressed like fucking fist of the north star guys like <laughs> standing oh, yeah. with their like, arms crossed cartoonists on, are just the most powerful they're just yeah yeah where you have they, all they the never get yeah, but they never really get respect for uh, the writing side of it for some weird reason. Right. Well, yeah. I think for me, at least, since I have written so much outside of my comics that at least I kind of have some respect as a writer. But, like, a lot of people who are just doing the cartoonist thing, like, they don't – it's not like they get nominated for Best Writer very often for, like, whatever the Eisners, which right. is kind of dumb because – if it's good it's good exactly i I was thinking about the other day i was because like i'm not you know i don't know what the the professional where the lines get drawn but they have a best cartoonist eisner and then they also have a best writer eisner and it's like well if we're all talking about comics then like where are you drawing the lines there that's kind of weird right (laughs) it's interesting to think about like um frank miller in terms of because i feel like at different times in his career he was considered a artist and other times he was considered a writer totally because year one also... right like oh sorry i was just saying like that's a huge entry into a lot of frank miller stuff is uh i don't know to me it was like i think the first thing i read was year one which was not something not something he drew well, born uh, again then, as well no exactly yeah and then you go into uh to the stuff that he does draw and it does become more of about Frank Miller, the artist. I think one of the things that got me following you on Twitter a couple of years ago was was you going back over uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again and just how radically weird and cool that book is and how it kind of got a bad rap, you know, over 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 the years. Although I don't know where it sits now, I guess. It's weird because it's, it's kind of became, it's one of those things like um, that was just kind of like a forum meme, I think. Mm-hmm. And a lot of comics people because they don't have like strong visual literacy just kind of accepted it as being that it's bad but if you talk to like enough a lot of artists see that as kind of the visionary work that it is especially the coloring i mean the coloring is still so far beyond what anybody is doing even now um and yeah it's it's really an incredible piece of work to look at and i i don't think it I think it's gotten, I think it's becoming more kind of cool to like it, but right. that's been an uphill battle. I think, um, I mean, I think similar, you've been a part of that just to me personally, honestly. Yeah, um, I mean, even like the early like image creators as well, that's, it's kind of been an uphill battle to sort of reclaim them as like having made good comics, even though mm-hmm. obviously like they were some of the most like successful artists in like history. And a lot of people like actually grew up like reading their comics and enjoying them. Like mm-hmm. there's kind of there was a period between like the late nineties to to the you know, through the thousand two thousands where it was just kind of cool to say like those people 
like those comics sucked and the people who made them like their art wasn't very good yeah it's been so, so yeah for me personally i came up liking comics in that era on you know on the internet and seeing the captain america liefeld meme posted mm-hmm. over and over and um i i've really enjoyed seeing like yours and other artists perspective on all this stuff because as someone who doesn't who has never entered the art equation of comics but who's been reading comics my whole life it's it's given me this like uh this more open-mindedness of like you know just judging things for my own and thinking if something looks cool it's cool and not having to go deeper than that in a lot of in a lot of ways and also just letting um you know like the contrast to a lot of those early image artists is a lot of boring looking stuff Hmm. Uh, especially these days. So when you go back and look at how how weird and radical things used to be, I don't know. It's been. Uh, I feel like I feel like very silly for being um, one of those people earlier in, in life on the message boards, kind of like making life old jokes and being being uh, like that. <clears throat> yeah. I, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think people nowadays the problem is they just equate um, how how close to reality something looks as being as that's whether it's good or bad art mm-hmm. and so they're not really so we have a lot of comics that are kind of these like wooden actiony figure looking things um that we've lost a lot of sort of dynamism of comics and dynamism is actually kind of what what is actually popular with most people when when a comic like looks like a comic and is crazy right. like a comic like that is that translates to a wider audience i think than something that looks like a still shot of like a you know a movie that you can go watch i mean i think what you just said can be can be actually like actually seen in how how popular manga is versus any western comic in the states yeah. like exactly that's i think that's immediately what i thought of is that dynamism is all all in manga these days and i was kind of curious like how did we get here in western comics like i i remember being very angry at at dc in the in the mid-2000s and really not liking a lot of the jeff john stuff but from an art perspective is it really just sort of a do you think it's like a more of a reaction to the stuff that was happening on message boards at the time like did we just stop wanting you know jim lee drew batman in like the early 2000s but after that it's been not a lot of similar stuff, I guess. Yeah, I kind of, I think I kind of blame, um, what's his name? Um, the guy who did, uh, the Ultimates. Um, oh, Hitch? Hitch, yeah. I think, okay. um, this, that's pop- actually a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Hitch, McNiven to some extent, like people like that, like, um what's his name uh lionel you like a lot of people i think for the longest time like those people kind of i think grew up more looking at like maybe early jim lee or something like that right but the people who were coming after like hitch and everyone were just kind of took took that into its sort of logical conclusion more and more because mm. those were because that was the like that Ultimates era stuff was that sort of widescreen making right. comics look like a movie thing, and, and, and it was it was kind of fresh at the time. I, I remember mean, one yeah. of the one of the stated goals of the Ultimate line was like, okay, if your only exposure to Marvel is the movies, so they're going to try to make something in step with those expectations. 
Right. And these were the, we're talking like the early, like the, the pre MCU movies even. Which they're basically the skeleton for if you give it enough time and kind of right. look at how everything progressed in the or progressed in the ultimate comics. Well, and of course, like when they, the first Avengers movie, the first, well, all, aren't almost all the Avengers movies basically Mark Millar comics? I think, uh, I think a, lot of, a lot of them are wow. like, like yeah. of Millar and Bindus stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all, all, all MCU is basically mining the last two decades of Marvel comics for like concepts and then reworking them into a more bland version of a movie. The part of that <laughs> that cannibalizes yeah. the worst. Uh, did either of you see Black Widow? Mm, no. <laughs> I I mean I, it was on I was I was doing other things I wasn't well, paying full attention to it I'll see it eventually on like you know when it's on a streaming service I have for like free or whatever I might right. watch it if yeah I'm, I'm like, not bored. paying no money yeah, I don't no. think I've watched a I've don't I haven't watched any Marvel movies I haven't, I haven't paid for any of them I always just watch them like on a Netflix or or Amazon or something like that when I'm like on a plane or something yeah I I totally. Uh, well, folks, just to you know, you know, uh, clear the air. I, I completely legally watched this film and did not pirate it from a <laughs> streaming website because uh, you can't be charged with a crime unless yeah, you, know, you can't be charged with the crime if you stream it. But if you torrent it, you can be charged with distribution. So, folks, get a VPN. Uh, I, d- I did said. like actually did like um, mm-hmm. parts of I guess was it End Endgame? Was that the last one? Mm-hmm. Uh, the big yeah, the last one. Yeah. The, the 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 previous one was like Infinity War two. Yes, yes, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. I liked uh, I liked some of the parts on there, and then some of the parts on uh, when it maybe maybe the maybe it's the last Thor movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the Taika the Taika YTT one. Yeah. yeah. But, but I I definitely preferred. Um, I recently reread like I recently read the john ramita uh thor stuff and um that was those are really really fucking good that's really cool i've always wanted to go back to that and also the, the simons and thor stuff oh uh, have you Just ever cause... seen the ramita uh punisher stuff um so good the john, so f- john ramita i think i've only seen some junior? of the jr jr stuff yeah i was gonna say never mind then then the jr jr stuff yeah the it, Punisher as a fucking Lego man is incredible. I absolutely love it. It's so good. It's so exaggerated. Did you see? Um, I see it. Ramita Junior's uh, the. I think it was coming out of Civil War. The World War Hulk. The there's a fight between him and uh, Iron Man in the Hulkbuster suit thing. Oh my uh, god! He just looks like Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. That fucking thing. I loved that. It's shit. Just like a cube, and he pile drives them through that. A whole building or something. It was as that Ramita is really good. Ramita Jr. has is like really dynamic. I, his, I, um, I had. I mean, I have that issue. Yes. I, I grew up looking at his Spider Man like all the time, not even reading it, just looking at it because he was he was the artist on that kind of when I was when I was younger. I re- I read his um, run with Nocenti on Daredevil recently with the um, Typhoid Mary stuff. Oh yeah. Um, that's that's so good. I love I love like that era of Ramita Junior where it's really like square and like very dynamic and like um I really was like there's yeah. a punch in Goro that is very inspired by that experience because it's like what he he really is probably one of the best at like a like a punch that like takes it like it was like a spread. Like his characters mm-hmm. are like just look 
like huge and iconic and those some of those spreads as they're like hitting each other and it's like a spread like that and it's like right. really amazing i'd be yeah, curious they have to a see weird if, uh, sort of mural that eternals movie I, I it doesn't look like they're trying to do anything with his designs but that was one of the the comics i remember reading was the neil gaiman uh, eternals book he did mm. where he was definitely kind of getting more into the the developed square territory but i love the costumes he did for that book honestly though the movie the trailer for that makes it look like they're trying to make like a i don't even know it looks looks kind of like a bland take on like terrence malick movies or something which is really bizarre for a marvel movie yeah i i did not watch um uh the one the other movie that that woman made but i get the impression that she's just yet another indie filmmaker that doesn't really read comic books that marvel has hired to I, just, my, one of my i guess friends, just control kind of yeah. i don't know yeah one of my friends is like a her and um her boyfriend are like big time like communist like filmmaker people hmm. and um they watched her other movie and just like ripped it apart i guess there's a lot of sort of um upper class dilettantism in her sort of point of view in her films mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how that comes across with something like Eternals. It always feels to me like Marvel tries to find these exciting directors, but then they specifically find people that they know will know nothing about the characters that they're about to direct for so that they can just kind of bring in their own people to to dictate those terms, I guess. And they'll also be given the terms, oh, hey, uh, there's going to be six scenes in this movie you don't direct. (laughs) Right. That's in previs. The work has been done. You're good. It's such a weird. It's such a weird pipeline they have now that, that that honestly has made for like it's like it's like novel to me that you can go back and watch the first Iron Man movie it, and think that that was uh, like like something no one had seen before at the time. Yeah, really, it was why I wanted to. It's why I I wanted to talk about Black Widow for just a moment. Sure, <laughs> I, I I watched that movie and uh, the entirety of her background. And and sort of comic overtures that they make uh, sort of goes to the wayside for all of the lines of dialogue for her from the first Avengers movie and like the the conflict, uh, the past, all of the figures from the past, quite literally all revolve around it. And uh, it's. It's it's weird that like this is one of the movies they went out of their way to like all right we're coming back to theaters and like it's it's got to be one of the most mid fucking films I've I've seen uh in as much as like like this is they like went out of their way to publicly cancel Joss Whedon right and yeah uh huh uh huh. And her defining traits, right, right down to the point where they're lackadaisically making, uh, yeah, I, I forcibly had my uterus removed, uh, gags between one another, as though it's like a, uh, so that just happened, aside you always hear in fucking Marvel. It's just like, yeah, they just didn't... yanked my uterus out, and then it hit me upside <laughs> the head with it like we were in a pillow fight. Like this is the shit they're basically saying, and it's like, who the fuck is this movie for? Who is it for? I I I think. I mean, I think specifically, like 
they're going to be a victim of their own success. I mean, to put that movie into context, like it, it almost has nothing to do with the comic book character Black Widow, right? It's really just about giving Scarlett Johansson a, a solo v- film vehicle, and so like that's why I don't know. That's where comic book movies really suck, in my opinion. <laughs> like, well, I, I wonder to the extent that they may have like kind of sandbagged the film as a whole because we know that like we saw that with the uh, JLA movie that they just actively will actively sabotage a multi billion dollar film just to like score points against each other and sort of inner company politics yeah it all it all makes the whole endeavor very i don't know like i i really truly separate out anything comic book movies from from what i actually love about comics like that's just like a distinct line in my brain these days um, Though, I mean, I feel like the DC and Marvel stuff has almost replaced the DC and Marvel comics by this point. Because if you want to watch a, if you want to do do something with superheroes with DC or Marvel, the best kind of experience right now is probably their movies because their books are like right. kind of just not doing any, not not even allowed to do anything anymore. I mean, you're absolutely. I mean, that's like that. That's a very good point, to be honest. Because they're like, <laughs> like I can't think of. I can think of maybe uh two big two books that i would that i actually follow that i that i would like that i would like oh yeah i'll I'll think of the story and that's not many compared to how it was when i was growing up um and there's just there's just kind of more of a dearth landscape in 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 the literal comic book racks on on the superhero front anyway there's obviously a lot of good stuff there's also a lot in it where it's just like um because i i think uh a year or so back I was trying to like read whatever the popular superhero thing was and mm. write about it. And it was just, and it's just kind of a, there's a style of storytelling that they are both stuck in where it's just, it's very like, you know, like X, Y, and Z are going to happen at the, at the beginning of the, of the first issue. And you know, at the end of the first issue of a new arc there's going to be a you know a villain on the last page that's like from like some obscure character and it's like it's very like by the numbers and even like the types of scenes that they have in these comics like there'll be like you know four or five pages of people kind of talking in a bar or something like that and you're just like yeah this is whereas if you read like uh dc and marvel comics even like bad ones from the 80s or right you know 90s much more sort of dynamic of. and much more of that stuff is done kind of on the run and it's more sort of over the top even though there's more ex- exposition in those comics they're more sort of like purpley and more sort of like condensed and crazy and weird yeah it, it really is a stark difference from like just the the vibe of what I grew up reading versus the the so-called vibe that exists today. Um, I think it's and, very... and I don't know if that's just natural because fans are running the house now, and that's sort of inevitable mm-hmm. given that the the medium has just grown the grown at the rate that it's grown, and and it lives in this Western world. But you know, certainly this 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 stuff. I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to me that like there's clearly other models for comics out there, and I think you do a great job of just of talking about that. Was it um, like fire force that you were tweeting about or something uh, as a manga? Oh yeah. I love, I love fire force. <laughs> yeah. I would never, never would have known about that. had it not been for your, for your Twitter and just like the, the posts, the pages that you posted, but it's wild to me that we can have 
that there's so much stuff that's I don't know. Like, like it goes the, back to what I said about how this stuff outsells in in, in Western markets. And like the fu- the funny thing about Fire Force is like uh, it is so like uh, beholden to old X Men comics. Like so much of the like the powers and like names oh, that, and everything are like and character designs are like references to uh, X Men and that's really cool. Actually, I, that's that actually makes me want to check it out. Um, yeah, just because I love that. that I love that cross cultural influence as well, and like. Yeah, just the idea that, of course, manga artists would would still read, like, you know, Jim Lee X-Men and think it looks fucking dope. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say, in as much as, I don't know, in terms of what sells now uh, and that, like, that specific drive, I, I, I don't... Like, are the cave comics leading right now? Like, it's got to be a rough time to be into that. I just know that there's a lot of, like, I would call it, not to just single him out as a writer, but Tom King-esque types of books that are successful, I suppose. Um, There seems to be a big trend in also, like, you know, just these these mini-series that are about an older character that supposedly deconstruct things. I mean, yeah. I had that Rorschach comic. Good lord! Like, I don't oh, want to. I don't want to know about that at all. Like, I would talk about it, except I don't want to know about it. Yeah. Um, but that's the state. That's what I mean, Michelle. Like, I, I think that book is probably selling, or like three Jokers. Like, good lord! I think anything is, with well, hold on, what Batman three Jokers. Three Jokers is what happens when you say some offhanded shit at a convention, and they don't let you. They make you follow up on it. <laughs> Like that's how it feels to me. Like it's like a it's like a it's like a comic based on a wikia entry. Is Jeff Johns saying? Jeff Johns at one point, and I don't even remember in what comic said, "Hey, maybe there was three Jokers all along," and then they made him they made him write a whole terrible comic about it, and it's very bad. That's what's up. Uh... <laughs> I think that's the only way I can describe it. I remember paging through it and and just laughing. Um, at but yeah. In terms of like sales, I think anything with Batman in the title always does decently well. But I mean, the stuff that's like selling the most these days is like uh, Reina, Telgmeier, YA comics, and then like manga. Like it's not right. DC yeah. and Marvel necessarily. Yeah, YA, but, YA seems to have basically been the thing. Apparently, those scholastic book fairs or whatever were just like. It, ridiculous in terms of uh, sales. I get comics for... at those when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, I, I did. I bought uh, Calvin and Hobbes comics from those things. Ooh, good yeah. point, actually. I totally got, like, Foxtrot from those. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I remember Foxtrot. Yeah, Foxtrot's what's oh, yeah. up. That comic um, made me a nerd, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I definitely have collections of uh, Foxtrot around here somewhere. There that guy is. is that guy's a real one. The guy, like, He is such a, a nerd's nerd. Like, <laughs> he's absolutely fun fun cartoonist bill amen um yeah i'm not a i i don't know about you guys but i'm not a i am not a big fan of the ya stuff like i i don't know anything about it like i really uh, i see I'm ads a, i'm aware of the, I see the ads for right if it's just like ostensibly children's books then i'm just like well, that's fine i know I've there's never... a ton of like teen batman and teen lois lane type things but i just i that's all i know is but like, i mean when i was a teen like that like i wanted to read like 
edgy like adult stuff that was like more hardcore than anything oh Oh, it's true it's true so i don't i don't understand why i feel like the people who read ya are not teens it's actually like you know yes toast adults who want to 20 somethings yeah yeah these are i guess yeah the like like there's like generally there's like maybe three types of adult ya readers uh like floridians there's (laughs) There's there's people from Florida, like generally. Um, there's fucking there's there uh, there's Elizabeth Warren sort of style liberals, like the the sign, like in this house, America is the land of the free. Uh, love is love. You should be able to drink <laughs> while driving. Uh, vote for Pete Buttigieg. Vote vote for Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> or else another. When it's, it's like actual kid. like actual actual like kid kids yeah yeah i think also that yeah like i would be i would imagine those are more appealing to like an 11 year old than a than a 15 year old or something you know yeah which is not how it's like presented when people talk about it because like when they talk about they make it seem like it's being given to right. teenagers but it's and more I'm for even, like kids like but, the one analog I would have to that in my life is I was a huge fan of the Peter David and Todd Nock Young Justice comic. That mm-hmm. that was like actually a seminal work for me in terms of uh, just getting me into DC. But that was also a comic ostensibly for young people that had like like in in like issue twelve or something really early in the run. There's like a school shooting issue where like one of the characters almost murders a guy that shot up her school because she's so mad about it. And it was such a dark, you know, it's like a very. Um, it doesn't shy away from reality as a kid's book, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's not overwrought or dark. It was like, I just remember reading that as a child and and learning, learning things about emotions. And like, I don't know if that happens in some of that, why that more YA stuff. Like teen me was watching like Evangelion and ghost in the shell and like Wicked, wicked city. And then like, you know, reading like Cormac McCarthy and stuff like that. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes a woman's face pops out of the vagina of a large naked spider woman. Uh, exactly. Or in Cormac McCarthy's case, that. But you're all peeing in each other's hands on top of a mountain to make gunpowder. Uh, I was probably I was probably eleven the first anime that I saw, which was just like flipping through the channels and sci-fi channel had uh, vampire hunter d on and i just oh, saw like yeah. uh you know that part where that monster gets like cut in half like lengthwise yeah i was like that i was like what what is this this is not like the car it's like the cartoons that i normally watch and so that was like that began my love affair with anime oh yeah i remember a friend in grade school describing ninja scroll to me and they were like <laughs> it's a cartoon but you won't believe what the fuck happens in this cartoon <laughs> And I was just like, what? I was like very confused at it. But then like I would I would later like go to a a fucking record store or something and see the DVD of Ninja Scroll and like have to look on the back of it and be like, oh, my God, what is this? Like I have I definitely have Ninja Scroll on VHS somewhere. That's what's up. Yeah. My my dad early, early anime really, really was. Like parents would buy it for their children, and then it would just expose them to the, the like, they were, most radical violence. They were they were unrated, and right. they were cartoons. So you just told your parents, "Oh, just a cartoon." Yeah, exactly. it doesn't matter. And they so I got to see all kinds of fucked up shit from like ages <laughs> like eleven to twenty because you know because everything else like I wasn't allowed to watch like 
R-rated movies and stuff. Oh but yeah, right. My um, whatever I read, and then like if it was a cartoon or whatever, then as long as it didn't have the R rating on it, then I was allowed to be into it. So all of, like my interest in sort of more hardcore stuff came from like that. Had to be like satiated through that sort of stuff. I can definitely relate. I remember negotiating like with my parents to get a Netflix, um, like an old Netflix account where, where they sent you DVDs. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll God. give you guys money every month and you can put it on your card. And I like, that was how, you know, once, once they signed off on that, I was just getting all the, all the fucking <laughs> anime and shit like that, that you could get. Like, that's how I watched Ava was on Netflix discs. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, it had to be under that, that sort of umbrella of like, this isn't an R rated movie. So it's, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a crazy time. Yeah, no, yeah, it, I, yeah. It's it's wild to think that that doesn't quite. I mean, I'm sure you know if the if if a kid out there wants to watch some cool fucked up stuff, there's a lot of ways for them to do it. But it certainly feels like you know it's a different world these days for those people. Kids are much more monitored, and the internet is much more sort of sanitized now. Yep, yep. which is kind of unfortunate because it's like I feel like you need to like traumatize yourself uh, as a kid a little bit with like. Art. Dep- I don't know. It, it dep- I was about to say, I thought about this recently. Uh, it was observing people that were like circulating me and Remy's book. And this is like a super hyper specific, like, I don't know, sort of cult like group of, uh, I don't know, like trans young people or something. Mm-hmm. And like, you'd say they're just fans of your book. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 well, they're, they're like so specifically into a lot of weird, off-putting, depressing shit. Mm. Uh, and like, it's it's strange. It's strange to sort of see the way in which I don't know it, the the specificity with which a lot of these people like things. I guess if that makes sense. I mean. I do think fan culture is very different now, if that's what you mean. It's yeah. scarier now. It's, it's terrible. Yeah, I, I, terrible. I, I, like, when I read some of the stuff some of these young people say, I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, are you okay? Is it, yeah, yeah, like, it's, it's just like, a comic. Oh, it's, it's my my concern's the other way. My concern is that, like, because I feel like teens, teens today are a lot more sort of puritanical than they were uh, mm-hmm. 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I would be more, I'd be more worried about like teens harassing me uh, online or something because they didn't like something in my book or versus like, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years ago, you know, being in actually into it and having right. like a kind of, more I mean, of a culture around it. I mean, but, this is only slightly related, but I think your presence on Twitter was something that really, um, like, I don't know, helped me reinforce ideas about just liking shit that you like. Like, you know, mm. no cap, you were like a trans woman on Twitter that was like, hey, Frank Miller drawings fucking rule. And like, yeah, maybe he's a dumb shit sometimes, but like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we can just say that these drawings are dope and that he's a good cartoonist. And I was like, yes, that's correct. Like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you, you can know? say somebody is a piece of shit and that the art is good. Like, yes. there's no, there's not a contradiction yes. there. Right. And so, like, to see someone public, you know, who's in in comics, actually, like, uh, just voicing that online was very reinforcing, and, and I think, um, kind of helped me realize, like, that's kind of I mean, I get, I get, I get, I get the. If there's a if there's a part of it that's missing, 
maybe it's like a tendency to not think of it in terms of an eliminationist narrative where you you need X outcome to like uh, reify an existing power that like may not actually fucking exist. Like uh, recently with the Frank Miller stuff and yeah, the, the objections and uh, holy terror specifically sort of be excited uh, mm. along with that. Hey, if, if there's someone I'm going to give some... Uh, a, a group of people have got to give a little good faith on a subject. It's like uh, Eddie Russell of living in the fucking world post 9-11. Jesus H. Christ. That's got to be mm. a rough one. Uh, that said, yeah, uh, I, I think you, I think you can, I don't know. Uh, you can, you can make your, your premises and that, that is also sort of protected speech too. But I think, I think we're also sort of learning there are limits to it. And uh, now it's becoming very, very hard to not just be wiped off of the map and even payment processing and stuff. Like if, if uh, you, you diverge from X narrative in a certain way, that's not a centrism argument. It's like, it's getting wild across the board. I mean, I think that only applies if you are not a, like, straight white guy. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. Frank Miller, for all of his, like, canceled or whatever, the same week that he was getting mm-hmm. uh, uninvited from Thought Bubble, he had a huge signing in California with, like, Jim Lee and all those people. Right. Like, and he's been, obviously, since Holy Terror, he's worked with DC extensively, and he's gone to conventions, and so it's not like he's been he's been making movies during that time like it's not like uh he is capable of being canceled or especially for and then the other i mean the other thing with that stuff too is that like Mm -hmm. the sort of anti-muslim post 9 11 thing is something that a lot of people a lot more people than frank miller have blood on their hands for oh and haven't been held haven't remotely been i mean held account accountable for i mean george w bush is you know friends with ellen for pizza yeah no he's he's chilling with the obamas oh yeah i'm i'm not saying i'm not saying uh pin all your hopes and dreams and in defeating frank miller etc god no well but here's the thing like i think that like the people who are cancelable in this extent are like marginalized groups so you know if you're not every group outside of you know straight white men because you're place within a community is often built upon the same community that is most likely to pull the chair out from underneath you. Mm. A lot of the uh, relationships are conditional. That's true. Yeah. And and much and it much more important for us as compared to them cuz like Frank Miller to be to think you think about for like, you know, for Frank Miller or someone like that in comics to be canceled, like think about like how many people just like Frank Miller are running every single comics publisher and are, you know, <laughs> right. had beers with Frank Miller and they, you know, are pals and, you know, take pride and maybe they want to be able to use him for like a Hollywood connection or something like that. Whereas, you know, if they're publishing a, you know, a trans author or something like that, who they don't really know and aren't actually that comfortable with. And then they see the trans community itself, like, turn on that person 
um, they're much more likely to stop working with them compared oh, to yeah. I've seen someone it. who's like them. I've, I've, I've quite literally seen it before in action. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fucked up and it's, it's a regular thing. Uh, well, think I, of how often like people have been trying to cancel Gretchen on, oh, on Twitter. Oh, yeah. oh man. No, it's a, yeah. me, me and Jake, me, me and Jake have been talking and she's definitely someone we want to speak to in the near future because, uh, Oh, yeah, you know, both, I'll be I'll we, be honest. We respect I, Gretchen on this show. Yeah, yeah. I don't I I don't necessarily explicitly uh, agree with each and every one of her, her takes, but like Same. <laughs> the 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 critical lens at which it's sort of leveraged uh, is is of worth, and oh man, it, it's just also it's also just weird. Uh, seeing the animus as as some have portrayed it like all right uh posting a gif is now like you're doing violence at me it's like right it's a very it's a very base low impulse to to assign a one-to-one value to like uh an image of an act happening and then that that is that is a one-to-one with sexual assault madam how dare you uh it's a a very fucking weird it's a fucking weird thing it it is interesting to me that you know this like like sarah pointed out to begin with this is all really a lot of a lot of times coming from younger younger people who have been who are kind of the first whatever what do you want to call it like the first generation that grew up under the internet where people knew what was happening like i consider like i'm 30 and michelle's a little older and i consider to be like my like myself to be on the last line of remembering when there wasn't an internet but being young enough that it almost didn't matter that much Mm. i I remember by the time i was by the time i was let's say like 12 or 13 we were we were hooked up at, at my house and stuff and then but but as as we kind of all just discussed like that was a time of the internet that was so incredibly different from what it is now. So these people that are 10 years younger or so, like, is that, obviously this isn't all of them. And I think that gets one of the things I see in the Puritans discussion that, that I think is kind of a weird one that a lot of people get caught up on is that yes, it's not everyone, but it's clearly happening to people. So like, we can't pretend that they're just dumb teenagers all the time. Um, uh, I, I kind of, I kind of think about this one because the easy answer, Jake, would be, right. uh, uh, sort what? of, Let sort of saying, yeah, 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 no, no. The simplest one would be like, you know what, you're, you're absolutely correct. And like this impulse to have like sort of haze code, uh, thing is, is just that, uh, you know, the way you think all teens are epic and cool and super more accepting. That's actually a bullshit notion. That's mm-hmm. like, no, right. The reality, the reality is that like, this is a sort of cradle to, to, you know, schooling, uh, mm-hmm. social media awareness and a sense of cultivated self that has grown in different conditions. It's not an ar- I'm I'm not making an argument that the generations thing is real, but like the conditions, specific to you in the time you came up uh a my, my nieces and nephews uh relationship to apps and shit right is completely different than mine right. and i'm like right. not even that old i'm like turning 33 
in a, like a few weeks. Like the 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 inherent difference is the hyper vigilance they have and how connected they are and how they keep getting those feedback loops back and forth, like those cortisol spikes, as Eliza said. Mm. Uh, what's fucking wild is the impulse to anger they have is normal, and it's constantly sort of preyed upon and then commodified afterwards. But, like, the, they should all actually be, like, red-hot piping fucking mad as shit about everything all the time uh like for specific reasons like specific material interests uh but like it's never demands it's always like angrily asking and it's always it's always in in very very like like they're aware they're they're a commodity and and they feel like a lot of their you can only not buy it or prevent someone from buying it like mm. like like even deplatforming a lot of those people's conception of that isn't like necessarily we're going to stop a Nazi from doing pogroms or whatever it's just that like uh they just did the wrong messaging. Uh, and yes, still are admittedly bigoted people or whatever, but it's just like, just, just the pathology is, it's, it's been the only way I could sort of wrap my head around it. Like the impulse to be mad is good, but like, sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's being aimed at the wrong things. And this is, this is kind of typical teen anger is what yeah, you're getting yeah, at. It's like, like all teens get mad. Yeah. But it's like fucking, and it leads to 20 and 30 year olds with fucking, uh, animated program fucking tattoos and and right. like, yeah being in your 30s for this or that tumblr fandom thing for x cartoon it's fucking it's miserable it's desolate and like a lot of those people that work on those cartoons are incredibly talented i don't think their output is bad it's just like this specific type of consumer we have like maybe the, the the sort of most black pilled of all consumers. Like Sarah, have you ever <laughs> seen Disney YouTube? Oh, I'd be terrified. Because <laughs> oh. all, all the every ter- some of the all the some of the worst things I've ever seen have been um, sort of American animators dealing with uh, people uh, mad at them, and for they work on like kids shows or something, and it's like adults yelling at them because they screwed up their ship or something. Oh mm. wow, yeah, that's that's such a fucking nightmare for me. Like, I never want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, because no. I think I think it's a it's it's kind of crazy because it's like the sort of hyper vigilance and everything uh, only seems to work uh, pointing left and down. Mm-hmm. Um, cause at the same time it's produced, uh, a sort of right wing that's realized that so long as it has no shame, it can't be canceled basically. And, um, so you get far, they can go farther and farther and they, they know that antagonizing people is like fundraising and, mm. um, so there's a whole political, the whole political movement on the right now is just you know, own the libs. And it's basically about like antagonizing people like that in order to 
sort of raise your profile and get money and power. Whereas on the left, the experience of it is, is that stuff actually working to a degree. Right. Because you can, I mean, if you, if you are dealing with like, you know, a marginal, marginalized creators, you, it is possible to really fuck up their lives pretty easily. Cause a lot of the like streams of money aren't necessarily di- diversified and they're also much more reliant upon the very same people who are most likely to sort of do that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, it's, it's also just, uh, it's incredibly easy. It's incredibly easy to do it. And then, uh, God, you know, I think the worst one I saw was basically predicated on the person, uh, passing after a certain point in time, like Mm -hmm. that, that, that was sort of the beginning and end of it. There was no sort of physical abuse or whatever named, but instead it was an uncomfortable no. And like, that was it. And that was enough to like fucking ruin someone, which, yeah, yeah. I think the, the impulses, uh, the impulses to sort of think of, of punitive financial terms is, is the, the problem because, I think if you have like any sort of successful thing, uh, you, you, you sort of look to replicate the successes and then dial in that method of producing an outcome. Uh, for this, it's just also like, okay, so you've mapped it uh, to, to sort of these, these, these sort of masthead beliefs you sort of hold I want to get across to people. And it's just like, oh, also you've sort of dialed in uh, external forces watching how you know how to destroy someone fucking just like you and that no one else is going to do it. Like when the internet we exist in clearly is defined by people just sort of repurposing successful processes and then leveraging it in the worst possible way against everyone at all times just like a boot on your fucking head it's 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 like a c it's like a c it's terrible well and i think artists have to evolve a little bit in terms of their how they respond to that stuff because i think you almost have to have the the idea of you know come try and take this pen out of my hand motherfuckers Mm. Mm. (laughs) Uh, because i I think that's um because you know take someone like Gretchen, she could easily just like say this harassment's enough and I can't deal with this anymore and just, you know, stop, you know, being online and stop kind of doing what she does. And, but instead she's like, you know, very defiant and Mm -hmm. uh, continuing to kind of push what she wants to do. And I think that that's kind of the, I think that's kind of how you have to get, because I mean, I've, I've, Mm. I've definitely heard from other artists before where they try and talk about how they're afraid to do this, that, or the other. And that's not something I really have ever related to. Cause I always, I never think about the audience with my work. I always think about like what I want to see. I think of my, I think of myself as the audience first. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think that, but so I think there's security in that to some degree, which isn't to mean like I want to be making like, 
ignorant comics that are like hurting people that I don't intend for them to hurt. I definitely want to like think as much as I can about stuff. Um, but that there's a difference between that and, um, the kind of fear that some people are starting to want to operate under and use that as an excuse for making sort of mediocre art. I think as an artist, you have to have a certain level of kind of diluted defiance. I mean, just to just re- get to that point. Yeah. Just resilience is, yeah. is what I was thinking of. Like the word I was thinking of. Um, I mean, there is a, there is a way through it. It's just like, uh, well, you think about Contra, she's like was canceled, uh, Oh, years ago oh and she's still just like youtubing through it right yeah and i mean to a certain to a certain extent i think the 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 dialing in process has existed so long that i think this isn't me shit talking contra or whatever this is like as a, a general statement like as it relates to media it it is it is easy to sort of see the tennis ball go back and forth like uh, if you see a comics review or sort of clickbaity title on Facebook, it's because they're farming for that specific outcome. Like X amount of comics fans said this about this woman, and they said she was a bitch. It's just like, wow, that's fucking news, man. Like this never happens every time a woman is on screen in a fucking American film. No, no, this is you found well, it. A K A K A. Like it feels like like. 70 to 80 percent of like bleeding cool comment uh articles these days are just like finding random creators commenting on stuff i get all these like alerts in my email about like how some tweet i've tweeted you know in the middle of the night is being used in an article about like oh my god uh, you know comic creators react to the olympics or like some like social issue and i'm just like uh, fortunately it's never led to anyone trying to, uh, uh, make an extensive YouTube video about how wrong I am right, or, right. or the right, the right wing hasn't like ever like targeted me in that degree. But, um, you know, I think also it's probably just cause I'm pretty based <laughs> general. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, I would, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily care about that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't really respond to it. And so, like, I see that they've used my comments and that sort of thing, and it's just kind of interesting to me, but I'm not necessarily, like, concerned or anything. I think the one time I was concerned was um, recently they wanted to use my uh, tweet about Frank Miller, and uh, they uh, usually don't ask for permission, so I got, like, an email uh, asking for permission to just use a Frank Miller quote and I d- didn't say which one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and looked at what I said and I had one that was like about, well, if people, um, people who hate Frank Miller should want him to go to thought bubble because you know, with the way COVID is right now in his age, it'll probably kill him. Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't want that to be like, um, construed as me wishing like death on frank miller right so i was like no you can't use that (laughs) i (laughs) deleted the tweet before could be yeah uh, right because it the the my the thread the thread within it that the tweet is within explains it but out of context i could see how someone might think that and i Mm -hmm. wouldn't you know i don't want i don't wish i don't i don't wish death on frank miller very many people really (laughs) 
most of the people that I reserve for that are like politicians and people who have actual power to like destroy right. the world, not yeah, comics people. Real harm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like sitting here, like tugging my collar anxiously, like Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. I don't know anything about any of this shit. Uh, like I said, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think. If there is a major overarching problem with like the internet in general, it's like the fandom mentality seeping into all ways of life. The political, I hate it. Uh, cultural, very basic way to understand the world. Yeah, well, I it's mean, like, it's, it's, I feel it's like Harry Potter up. sorting houses. It's just Harry. Mm. It's just it's quite literally mapping yeah. very broad baselines. And you're saying, well, shit, man, I'm that type of consumer. Sometimes I like to play a video game while I watch a movie. And <laughs> you just, like, find yourself saying this all the fucking time. Yeah. Uh, I, it's I had I had an aha moment. It's very moment. effective marketing. I had an aha moment where I, I looked at my algorithmic data after a certain point in time and then my Spotify uh, recommendations. And I started realizing slowly that the thing I talked about most before even owning a Spotify thing, uh, where this is something the aggregate gate, excuse me, aggregate data could like be nailed down was uh, I talked a lot about Breaking Bad uh, around the Occupy Wall Street era. And I actually talked to uh, Aaron Paul via a phone thing they did and tweeted about it a lot. And he retweeted what? it. It was very fun. And like years later, I a bunch of the songs in my Spotify playlist, despite knowing of no connectivity between uh, third-party ad sellers and aggregate data sellers, and then it's like, oh, it turns out a bunch of those songs in that Spotify playlist are songs you've actually heard already. Uh, and a great deal of them are from Breaking Bad. And uh, I, I was just in a K-hole the rest of the fucking day afterwards, like, catatonic like this is it i've i've i haven't been having any new fucking experiences i couldn't imagine well, being you know born how, into that by default you know how like, having it that, dialed in earlier the belief that phones are always listening to you and that's how they serve up ads um and i think there's probably some truth to that because a remote recording exists in a lot of these devices but to be honest like a lot of times the answer is way more banal kind of like you were just saying where it's like no they didn't listen to you. They just tracked your location and then cross-referenced that with like a recent Google search you had, and then uh, pulled then up like some Dungeons some sort of data near you happens. about different stole. Yeah, and then you get and then you see an ad for those shoes you were thinking about. It's very, it, it's the mechanics of it are, are like not great because they're not very day. they're not even very controllable by by humans to a certain. I degree. went out of my way to opt out of cookies logging and shit like that. So to to have a, a whole generation of people like ostensibly being more surveilled mm. willingly mm. Uh, openly as long as a lot of these people have it 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 feels it feels very strange uh yeah. well think about how hard it is to opt out of it even like mm -hmm. think about like how you used to find new artists for music compared to like you know going on to spotify and trying to find something that's not like recommended and how difficult it is to like you have to find the search search the artist you know click the see more thing to go through the albums then you you know have to it's like a lot more steps than 
you know, back even with like Napster where you would just like download an album of some artist you may have someone may have recommended on a message board and tried right. it out. Or just my, like, MySpace. Like I yeah. actually I found so many bands as a teenager because bands would have a MySpace page and then they would have their top eight and it would all be bands that they liked. And so you could just click on any band that you liked and chances are you would get eight recommendations for bands that they thought were cool. And then you could just go from there, like just clicking through and, and, and trying all the music that they had sampled on their site and stuff. Compare that to Spotify now where it's like you basically type in a mood mm-hmm. um, to get yeah. like a playlist for that mood. And they, so you're basically listening to like a curated like, yeah. music industry list of like what you should listen to for this mood yep. compared to like making it yourself on uh when it went app or whatever it's the yeah. infection of marketing in, into that type of casual activity like you didn't used to have to there was never an interest in, i mean obviously radio exists and stuff but yeah it just wasn't an avenue through which that kind of influence could oh, be employed the, and i, I don't know spotify say, bums me out i've never really been a i've never paid for spotify i'll put it let that me way. let me tell you something about spotify jake uh I, I i went to listen to the new lingua ignota album today yeah just do it and, on Bandcamp instead no, no, no. I just, I went on to just look at it. And whenever you open a link for those fucking things now, it, it also has a link for the person's cash app. Where it's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Like if you go onto the Android app or your browser version of it right now, it's like. Spotify. Yeah, that, like, yeah you give them money, not us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is, it is, it is incredibly dire. Um, it's like um, YouTube now. Uh, YouTube, you have like your super chats and all that stuff. Oh God, yeah. I don't. I don't know much about that. I know that's pretty popular in the VTuber world. Of like, that's that's how I first heard of a super chat or whatever that the, means. That VTuber world I am currently obsessed with and going to. Uh, I'm going to make a little VTuber and start streaming. That's that's what's, what, up. that's what's up. We actually saw that. Yeah, we did an episode on VTubers. Um, really, like one, one of our early ones. Yeah, it's just us kind of just going over what what we learned and what we know about it. And, uh, it's, it's pretty. Fun. I'm addicted. Basically. Basically, the 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 way I had it explained to me by by Ruben was that there it's kind of like horse racing, uh, all the way up to you know sometimes uh, a VTuber has to be air quotes graduated, which is you know the racehorse equivalent of putting the white tent out and shooting the horse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they a lot of studio people uh, in Japan doing like like a corporate. VTuber setup make about thirty thousand dollars a year uh, USD equivalent for mm-hmm. for being a VTuber, which is absolutely oh, I mean, insane. That's small potatoes compared to what Gargura is probably making. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's also just the independent people too. That's one thing we examined was like the line between the ones that come from a, a big company and the ones that are just people with the rig. Um, yeah, I think I'm actually kind of excited to be because I think it opens possibilities especially for like trans women and trans artists and stuff because for me one of the biggest impediments for um streaming is i didn't want to have to like worry about my appearance constantly Mm. and if i have like a vtuber icon i can just kind of like you know wake up and sit in my pajamas and draw on stream yeah no it's it's really yeah which is a very i think there's a very like gender divide there because like um, if you're a woman, 
whether trans or cis and you're trying to stream and you're using your face like there's like a sort of baseline that you're expected to hit whereas if you're like male um you're just kind of allowed you can just to look, look like however. fucking shit you can just look <laughs> yep. like yeah. shit it's so true yeah one of the most popular guys are so bad one of the most popular guys i've had like four people i know from a discord say he's like hot and i don't know what the fuck they're talking about he looks like andrew wk but like yeah yeah i've seen like a guy. twink or something but yeah and it's i don't get it like the guy just gives off a very damp vibe i'm not into it like well i mean look at the the dynamics of the popularity in just normal uh streaming like the, all the top streamers are almost all male mm-hmm. and then for vtubers it's reversed like the most mm-hmm. of the top ones are female and i think Absolutely. that that's there's something there in terms of like and i mean there are male vtubers and stuff that are like coming up and i think it's just a matter of someone figuring out how to do it right what the hook is yeah but i for me I, i'm interested to see like i think it kind of is could be an interesting avenue for um trans people in terms of like being able to do something without being like judged by how well you can form or don't conform to uh- Absolutely. Like cisgender standards. I actually, so the, I, I follow a lot of fighting games um, content and some of the best fighting game players, especially in the avenue of like what we call anime games. So that'd be like Guilty mm. Gear or uh, Melty Blood or something like that. I um, can't wait to get the new Melty Blood. It's going to be very, very good. Um, I'm very excited for it. But yeah, some of the best Guilty Gear players in the world are trans are trans women. <laughs> like Deb, oh. it, Deb is the best like almost definitively the best soul player in strive right now and she is someone who competed you know prior to transition as well but is now out as a trans person and is and has fully converted to a vtube rig for streaming um that's awesome yeah and it's like now she's a big a big breasted cow lady who's like the best soul in guilty gear and is like always beating people up it's 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 exactly what you were talking about it's very cool yeah and i mean the tech the the tech doesn't seem too hard because it's pretty much just like a webcam and a and yeah. a little thingy that tracks your yeah once i realized yeah. it was that i realized just how accessible it was because when i first saw it i assumed that that they were wearing at least something um but that was just kind of a uh like that was just me not thinking of it in the right way yeah i mean it can be expensive obviously if you're paying for the like right character and the rigging but you can there's a bunch of youtube tutorials and stuff you can teach yourself if you can draw at all um, yeah, it's, it's, I actually saw your post about, about your thoughts on that. It's very cool to know that there might be a VTuber version of you in the future talking about comics or even More drawing. Nice. Because my, my, my thing with uh, comics criticism right now is that like, I don't feel, cause I mean, I don't read it. <laughs> yeah. So no, no. that I think the primary way that I would be interested in it is through a video where you can see like the pages and talk directly about the pages and stuff. Mm hmm. And so I want to do, besides like streaming, like my process for like making comics, I want to do like kind of a comics uh, show where I kind of like talk about um, different comics that I like and kind of being able to just sort of stand in front of uh, and the images that I'm interested in talking about. Totally. I think that, um, I think, because there, there are some like, like cartoonist K-Fob or whatever and stuff that. Mm do versions of that but i think i can do it better so i like I'm try. yeah no no we like to hear that um on this show because you know 
there's I have seen the, the kayfabe stuff, and it's I, I remember when they were early putting stuff out. My exact thought was, oh, this is like this is clearly something that is cool and it has some use. Um, I would I would watch other people do this. <laughs> yeah, not a, I'm not the I mean I yeah I'm not the biggest fan of Ed Pisker, right? Um, <laughs> but um, but it is the like basic that, idea. Yes, that concept to... was is appealing for sure. And plus, I mean, we've seen with the freaking Comicsgate people, like a lot of how their monetization stuff has come is because they rally around on YouTube. Right. So I think that's a whole a, like closed. I circle mean, that yeah. I'm not even familiar with. I would say it. Do, it does seem like a lot of that has just went through a flattening. I think mm-hmm. some algorithm and excuse me, some algorithms changed in as much as. Dudes that used to usually run 200k or so every month are now down to 60k, and mm. I guess just also I think that's just the game. If you YouTube, have to though. keep, if you have to keep fucking ringing the culture war bell, uh, right? For the most part, it's not really a growth industry. They've got like mm-hmm. maybe three top guys in that field, um, and like gotta be exhausting. Well, yeah, one, it does, yeah it and just one of them. Like if you think existence. of how much Tucker Carlson has to do, like, for cable now, given mm. that, like, cable and television uh, in general is sort of going through a twilight phase, it's not going to be what it once was much longer. Yeah. Uh, and it's been dying for a long time. Even late night numbers are sort of on a downward arc where those were super of- dependable. Think of how fast uh, Newsmax uh, grew just because of Trump being like right. "fuck Fox News, Newsmax." Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, the right, the right's always kind of been um, able to move like that, though, because I mean, it's just kind of talk radio like type of people. Yeah, and like to herd around the different same, mediums. Exactly, the same people are, are jumping from ship to ship. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like as long it as long as it's like an engagement cycle. Like a lot of people also sort of sort of flip political tendencies. I I think a lot of people aren't honest enough with themselves and just say that you're looking for an easy way out by calling someone a grifter. No, like I think in general uh people can sort of flip on a dime just because they one see where the winds are blowing and also like there's there's a lot more agency and money conferred to you if you do hammer the culture war button but you're like respectable in a general sense like like it's it's very strange it's sort of it's sort of strange to legitimize folks uh doing that like uh, well, do you remember? Do you remember when uh, Cassandra Fairbanks was like a Bernie? Uh, oh yeah, Bernie bro, uh, Black Lives Matter protester, basically. And then, like, Bake Alaska was a BLM guy. Tim <laughs> Tim, Tim Long. Tim Tim Is it no Long or something. I know that. I know you're talking about with this. No, no. I keep whatever. trying to say Tim Cook, but I'm Ooh. thinking Tim Pool. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's it. Tim Apple, as we call him. Uh, <laughs> Was like an Occupy guy. Yeah. Uh, right. And yeah, the, uh, the other thing is the most interesting tell of all of them is Poole specifically. He's a good bellwether for how this turns out. Poole was a stringer. Uh, basically, 
you may not know of it like as a massively mainstream thing talked about at length, uh, you the listener, but basically a stringer is someone that drives around in the middle of the fucking night or early in the morning, uh, different quadrants of the day, but a lot of late night guys for television stories in the morning where there'll be a fire or an explosion. A lot of these guys work in LA and uh, the West in general. They're freelance cameramen. They're freelance cameramen who have a going rate and sell to news stations and get into bidding wars against one another for news stations. There's These a movie about that, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler with yeah, Jake yeah, yeah. Hall. Notably not the X-Men character. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, awesome movie, uh, by the way. Really liked that movie. But yeah. yeah, I liked it. Like that impulse to like, to I follow am the slimiest the motherfucker on earth. I am mm-hmm. going to watch you die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's that's a job. That's an American job type. We could just do that. It's a thing yeah. we can do. Uh, and and yeah, that, that sort of, that's the world Tim Pool came from. So like that sort of thought process you can extrapolate it across a lot of people that just come from culture war for culture war's sake All right. sort of set. I mean, reporting uh, on that kind of stuff is like a little bit like reporting on a car wreck. It's an easy mold to pour into and fucking warp around when you need it to. Right. Uh, because you'd never really upset people's expectations. So like you're always sort of working the crowd. So like they can never be mad at you. Fucking Joe Rogan uh, is incredible at what he does. I, I think the podcast sucks, but like I'm in the minority there. I get that. Uh, but fucking, it is it is it is a specific discipline of just you know never challenging your own audience to a certain point. I think that's like, a good way to put it. He's your POV kind of- character. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of ironic. I've, I first remember him from being the handyman at news radio. And it's kind of funny that he's like the one character that wasn't on, on air is now a podcast host. The culture war shit. Is not the most surprising thing about Joe Rogan to me? I think it's like the muscle shit, like the muscle guy shit, the weird, what just becoming a UFC commentator. Well, yeah, the, the the meathead stuff because like in news radio head, not, not a big guy. Kind of like right. a kind of like a wiry guy. Yeah, and now he just kind of became a the fight talking guy, and then that guy became like a culture war guy. Yeah, and yeah, he just you know he he just with, looks with like fear factor. Fear factor was somewhere in there. Yeah, and he also just looks being like toned the, fajita the B now. team on the Man Show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they were I the replacements that. for Corolla and uh, Jimmy Kimmel, and Joe it didn't Rose last. It like didn't Doug last Stan very long. Hope. Oh God. What a mess! Right, and Corolla. Corolla became like right wing too. I or think something, so. Right? Yeah, I think he, he's he definitely was always right wing. Right, he's he's just doubled down on a lot of that stuff, especially in contrast to Kimmel being like the the mainstream guy. Um, I bet Kimmel has like similar politics though, oh, even course. though he like oh, course, yeah. outwardly isn't like express them. No, he's a, he's very much a just oh, a guy God. who's we playing the face. Just I'm writing that down on a notepad. If we, ever, <laughs> so if, we ever, if we ever get Jack on, uh, yeah, Leslie, uh, yeah, uh, Michelle knows like, some hey, people Jack. that have worked with Jimmy Kimmel. I'm like, Jack, 
Is is he racist? You can tell me. No one will hear that. <laughs> Just tell me, you and me. Is he racist? Come on, buddy. I mean, well. <clears throat> Just imagine my elbow like slowly going into his ribs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're coming up yeah. on two hours. I did want to ask, or at least get into covering a little bit before we have to go. Just aorta. Um, cause, cause it's your most recent work and cause you just put out number three and, and I know you, you notably said you're going to do a little bit of work in between three and four on some other stuff too, but mm-hmm. what a cool, I don't know, to me, what a cool comic as someone who came in just, uh, as a follower of yours on Twitter and was like, Oh, this person, I like what this person says. Uh, I like the pages they've posted. I'm just going to buy this thing and see, see what's up. Um, the format for, for those listening, I mean, this book is published in, uh, what's the measurements? Uh, 11 by eight and a half i think yeah like a very big chunky magazine type of um type of printed printed artifact here it's it's it, it gives it a lot of value and then just i don't know i i like reading this comic because if i just page through it i can see a lot of i can see you know influences from like a a page that where i'm just like oh my god this is like you know, like an Otomo page or something with the, the massive scale of an explosion. But at the same time, I'm reminded of like a Jack Kirby fourth world spread or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost describe the comic, the vibe of the comic. And I don't know if this tracks to your, how you grew up, but this comic gives off the vibe of a, of a well-edited tsunami interstitial, <laughs> um, just at, like cool action shit. And you can imagine some sick beat playing in the background because of the space. Maybe that's my own bias too. Cause I grew up on a lot of that stuff. Hey, Gundam wing was definitely exactly. I, everyone loved Gundam wing. I loved right. Gundam wing. So yeah, it's clear to me that this is like your idea of a mech book. Is there uh, obviously not just like, Oh, what influenced you? But like, what got you wanting to make a mech book? Jake. Um, hmm. Oh, because uh, whenever I watched like those kind of shows, um, what appealed to me is that it's basically like, um, these people's like screaming their emotions across a like empty void through like this medium of uh, machines, which mm. I related to in terms of like transgender like body stuff. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd always kind of um, wanted to do a comic that kind of dealt with that sort of person inside of a body type thing and then also like you know i i'm yeah, i'm just really into any sort of like the goro book i did before was like telenovelas and soap opera stuff so i'm mm-hmm. very into any sort of like genre where there's a lot of sort of heightened emotions and like i can draw as many people sort of screaming and crying as possible um because i feel like that's comics are the best medium for that kind of thing um Oh, yeah. And it just kind of like, yeah, it just kind of like activates your imagination as a reader more. I feel like a lot of Western comics right now are very emotionally static or very um, almost afraid to embarrass themselves with sort of loud emotions or big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not the case when you go back and read like, you know, stuff from the 80s or like Stan Lee stuff even like. Right. Um, I think that that that's something that I enjoy with comics is I enjoy like the sort of the moments of sort of heightened emotion and trying to say something like pure and true without, uh, even if it may come out awkward or not perfect. Like 
I'm I'm very drawn to that kind of thing. And the mech medium for me was um, a very sort of obvious thing for that. Because whenever I think of like mech anime, it's always like pilots like screaming uh, philosophical uh, arguments back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's very like, or like mm-hmm. I sort of stand for this and this is the type of world that I want to advocate for basically. And, um, you know, and obviously like the big formative thing for me growing up was Evangelion. That probably is one of the most like formative works, um, for me growing up at all. And all that is, is like these sort of, uh, psychological, like, using the sort of genre of mechs to sort of deal with sort of psychological um, issues and uh, sort of deeply sort of personal things. And- obviously, it hasn't aged well, but my, my first sort of exposure to someone trying to articulate that to me uh, in the snappiest way possible, again, hasn't aged well, was just like, yeah, imagine if all of the kids in the mechs were crackheads. It was like super <laughs> excessive. <laughs> Everyone had very fast back and forth rebounds, emotional states, very, very sort of, sort of manic, intense uh, characterization. Yeah, the, you have to almost watch it in a sort of macro sort of way, because mm-hmm. um, the characters are almost all sort of facets of a similar idea or a similar, like, like just sort of exploring different angles of a similar idea in terms of like trauma and depression and sort of generational, um, conflict. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so like, yeah, as a teen, like that, (laughs) how could that not be like a formative thing? Um, So much stuff, there's so many images from that, that just like stayed with me for my whole life. And, the, being able to do that with the genre and having, I think the um, the thing I like a lot with the mech genre, and this is not just Evangelion, like Gundam mm-hmm. um, was kind of, I think, the one who really started this was um, the sort of, um, crap, uh, like kind of the trippy, like psychological stuff like the new types where like the space age type of thing yeah where like the where they kind of you become so overpowered that you like break the bond your your emotions become so overpowered that you Mm. break the bonds of the machine through which you're communicating in order to like better try and reach someone with what you're trying to say like for me that's very very sort of apt Mm-hmm. for like a post 2000s experience mm-hmm. and then so it's a lot of sort of crossovers with that and then a lot of stuff that I can do in terms of like trans body stuff that I'm into and um all while making a comic where you know you know giant robots can punch each other which yeah, is uh... you know I think at the end of the day <laughs> you have to I, I I like to have stuff that's like kind of, I don't know, exciting to read and mm-hmm. like very like Aorta was very much like, I think, uh, especially the last two issues, which are basically like almost 200 pages. Like I was just like a nonstop fight. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is, you know, I, I, I like and I relate to. I'm not as into like the sort of decompressed like Western superhero comic thing where there's a lot of not oh, action yeah. and not fighting. No, I think your use of space is just like, I mean, even in the first issue, there's a there's a fight where there's like a, a double page spread that's like almost entirely the void of space and then the two the two robots and that like yeah you don't see stuff like that in a lot of western books see i like what i and i like what i like to do is like um like compressing the character moments more with between those sort of things because mm. i think it almost becomes like a uh a um uh suggestion or like a psychological suggestion or something like that because that stuff feels almost like cut in there in between stuff in a way that kind of you absorb it instead of sitting there and actually like slowing down and like being in that sort of thing yeah it's kind of like it's that's really well said because i i was like that is i picked up on that in your comic that there's clearly a bigger thing going on that you know about as the creator that you only let the reader in on a little bit I always like that sensation um, as a reader and mm-hmm. also just like as an artist, I like having my stories feel like they're taking place in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, cause I, I always like that thing where it's like, um, like in a comic. Cause I mean, when I grew up reading comics, we like, we didn't have a comic shop in my town cause it was too small, mm. but they sold uh, like the, like six packs of like random superhero comics at like Walmart or something. Right. And they wouldn't be necessarily like issue, you know, one, two, three, four, it'd be like random ones. And so I always had to like, imagine like what characters actually, the conclusions to stories and what characters were actually like, or I'd see a cool character Mm -hmm. in the background and Mm -hmm. have to kind of imagine like more of that story. And so I like that with, um, my own comics is like feeling like something is a part of something grander or like wanting to seeing something and wanting to sort of imagine your own sort of lore or you see like a character design in the background or like a minor character and you think that you right. can get like a part of their story and you want to get like so much more and that's I think how, about like right that's how dc felt to me growing up because i would get similarly i would get comics just at the grocery store magazine rack and it wasn't like i would never i never got them like sequentially well remember back before we even we knew i talked about this on twitter the other day but like back before we knew a wolverine's origin story and it was just kind of like mm-hmm. all we had to go on was yeah. the trippy barry winter smith weapon x right and then like random nuggets kind of sprinkled in through the right. Claremont run. Like that's so much more exciting and you're so much more engaged yeah. and interested in the character than when you finally got like an origin story that now I, I blocked out of my mind. It's so true. I remember cause I would like, again, I was, I was a teenager when that was a, uh, a comic book that was like coming out and being marketed. And it was so like, I remember paging through it and expecting to see something exciting and really not understanding at the time, especially why a Wolverine origin comic was about some little like kid. <laughs> like, it was so anticlimactic. Yeah, it just did it. It just literally was such a a, a non thing. Like not like the yeah the opposite of exciting anticlimactic. Well, it's like the Star Wars prequels as well because we thought oh we're gonna get to Darth Vader we're gonna get to find about find <laughs> out about Darth Vader. Oh, you're and right. The first one, Phantom Menace, is just, just a kid. Oh, but it's yeah, it's and it's as he's a kid. It's a Pat Oswalt joke see. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's just some <laughs> little it's kid. dead on. <laughs> it's so true. 
You said sometimes it's better to yes not know, even yeah, though you think you want to know. Exactly. The mystery. Yeah, you don't need to know why there's three jokers. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I turns I'd out. watched I'd watched Better Call Saul and it's like all good, but it's it's weird that yeah, it just sort of try to redo the whole shtick of Breaking Bad, but with the different guy map to do it, as opposed to just imagining each week Saul Goodman has a new piece of shit client. Right. Bing bong. It would be wonderful. We don't live in that world. Right. <laughs> Everything are... has to connect and has to explain. Yeah. Yeah. We we need it's to gotta know tie how... it's gotta tie into the other thing. You gotta have the references that are that aren't like you know, the, the, it's it's gone from like like what you said, Sarah, where it's like, oh, there would be a reference in a comic, and I wouldn't know enough context. I would have to just kind of imagine to where now the shows just spoon feed you that. Um, yeah, well, it's like God forbid you watched you a yeah, God forbid you watched a Marvel movie out of order. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just it's very uh, it's very easy for for people to just I don't know. Like, yeah, there's not as much mystery. Is what I'm getting at, and that's that's partly the media, you know, dispelling all of it. Yeah, which is which is unfortunate mm-hmm. for people who haven't gotten to experience as much of that, because I think it's it's a really it's, it's really exciting to like want to know something and uh, not know it and mm-hmm. have to guess. Absolutely, um, and you do you do still see that in like especially uh, Japanese comics, like you think about like One Piece and sort of right. Luffy's like backstory and stuff and how you know for 30 years they've just he's just been kind of slowly giving bits and pieces of that um i think that and then there's and that's another comic where there's just going to be like you know random characters on the side that are never going to get like a full story Mm -hmm. but maybe like visually compelling or narratively compelling to you Mm -hmm. yeah i guess yeah you're right like the way that storytelling does still it's just all man manga market's so freaking cool (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I know it has its own issues and stuff like that, but it's just, yeah, it's wild yeah. to me that you can pick up a phone book sized thing of Japan and just read comics of all sorts. That's always been. Well, it's, it's so it's yeah. so weird that it's not more popular with like people who are doing comics these days. <laughs> that, yeah. It's like if you yeah. go to like when you go to like SBX or something like that, like people there, what they're drawing from is more like Love and Rockets and like. You Western know, Indian stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. As opposed in, you know, I mean, there are some people, of course, who've read some manga, but it's not like Naruto or something, you know. They, right. They, they it has read, to be like, a sad person manga. Yeah. It has <laughs> or to be. Or just like uh, Juji Ito, honestly. Like people, not that he's not good, but like that's, yeah, that's an easy one. Well, it's like uh, all the stuff that like Ryan Holmberg translates pretty much is mm. like what those people read, which are kind of like 70s Japanese art comic Uh, stuff okay okay which uh you know exists later on but you know those people wouldn't be caught dead like reading something from like viz or something right and it's just kind of unfortunate because that's there's so much uh, so much stuff that can kind of like activate your brain and make you think about something in a different way or storytelling and action and make your comics more sort of dynamic and interesting. You're never a better, you're never better at anything for being less exposed to stuff. You know, that's like, it's a weird way to think about it. So that's a good point. I think, I think that's part of like maintaining your hunger as an artist. Cause I think we've talked a lot about 
Frank Miller keeps coming up, but you mm. think about like how someone like him has stayed hungry as an artist and evolved as an artist for so long. Cause mm-hmm. he could have just stayed drawing how he drew like in the early eighties mm-hmm. or he could have like stopped at that like Mobius style that he did for Ronan. Mm-hmm. But he kept like wanting to try different things that he saw in other comics and wanting to, you know, keep doing this with his mute, with his art and that and the other. And I have a lot more, I have a lot of respect for, um, that kind of thing. Um, and I think, I think that's about like being an excited participant in comics more so than just being an artist. Like it, you, if once you get to the point where you're no longer like excited about comics, but you're still drawing them, I feel like that that's when you're like dead as Mm -hmm. an artist. Mm -hmm. But if you can still kind of find the thing that makes you excited about comics and makes you want to like push yourself to do something better, I think that that's, um, that's kind of the spot you want to sit in and stay in for as long as possible. Well, that's, I mean, absolutely. It's a fantastic spot to, to wrap it up in all honesty. Yeah, I was about like, to we we uh, want to give you the chance to plug anything. And obviously, uh, Aodra number three is out now. Um, the latest in that series, but, uh, where, where can the you. folks at, yeah. where can the folks at home, uh, find you and find, uh, places to purchase your work? Um, pretty much Mercurial Blonde on any sort of social media. I've managed to get that. That's what's up. Um, I also have a website, uh, squarespace.com slash Mercurial Blonde. Um, that has a link to everything, all my internet presence, all my stores. Because I have a separate store for print versus digital. Mm. And then I also now have a separate store of an Etsy for um, international orders because... Thanks, Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. And we'll have links Jeez. to all that in the show notes yeah, for absolutely. people listening. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, Aorta 3 is the most recent thing that I have out. Right now I'm uh, working on getting up the VTuber stuff. And then I'm going to start streaming, working on my uh, next comic, which is called BBB, BBBB, Chameleon, nice. 4Bs. Um, it's it's going to be a full-color kind of... Um, a cult noir type comic, like in the vein of like doomed megalopolis X 1999, like mm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like magic powers, destroying buildings, that sort of thing. Dark, dark cities. Yes, yes, yes. Nice. All right. All right. Sounds exciting. So, that's me. That's where I'm at. And that's where I'm going. Well, folks, well, we want to thank went, you for listening. Jake, Jake is one. I'm going to pass it to Michelle places. for, for the outro. <laughs> what did Every you just time. say? We're just going places, Jake. <laughs> Everyone's going places. Uh, like a yeah, shark. Like a shark. Like a shark in water. Uh, <laughs> We're smelling I would have opened with shark, but that's me. Uh, that said, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was wonderful having you on and talking about the the process and what sort of informs uh, how you come to the conclusions you do. Uh, for Jake, uh, Sarah... Horrix here. Um, I'm Michelle Perez. This has been working on it. We will retrieve Ruben and Eliza be for back. the near future. They'll be yeah. back in be uh, back. Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'm so sorry. Life goes on. So fucking stop. All right, I'm going to hit stop recording. <laughs>